How are you guys doing? Good, good, good to see you guys. Anybody's favorite book in the Bible? The book of James? All right, dang, a few, few of us. So, so when, I, when I first became a believer, this was by far my favorite book. I, I, I became a brand new Christian at age 20, was not raised in the church. And so James, to me, just seemed so practical, easy to grasp and apply. It had sentences that I could even understand, like, do not speak evil against one another. Much easier than some of the things I was reading in like the book of Romans where Paul's writing on topics like propitiation, predestination. Way easier to swallow than what I was being told was going on in the book of Revelation with the grasshoppers and the dragon and the mark of the beast as we sat there trying to figure out which presidential nominee was the Antichrist. (laughs) James, on the other hand, was just easy Count it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. Faith without works is dead. Be patient. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you and so on. But as I have grown in my theology, I have to admit, I've grown less fond of James. If I'm honest, I'd rather try to figure out how the old and new covenants relate to one another in the letter to the Hebrews. Or unpack Paul's understanding of inaugurated eschatology. I want to spend time in the Gospels to hear Jesus speak about the kingdom. And to think deeply about what he says in regards to the Trinity. I want to study the New Testament to understand what is, the book of Re- what is actually going on in the book of Revelation. If I'm honest, when I read James and he tells me that religion before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and their widows in their affliction, it's usually not long before I'm back in one of Paul's letters reminding myself of my Christian religion, faith, and faith alone. Take that, James. Throughout church history, James has been a controversial epistle. The great reformer Martin Luther called James the epistle of straw. He says, James mangles the scriptures and thereby opposes Paul in all scriptures. Yikes. Others find it difficult to comprehend that James only uses the name Jesus two times in the entire epistle. And one of them is in the introduction. As you read through the letter, you see no mention of the Holy Spirit or the church No mention of the cross, the resurrection, or the ascension of Christ. Core Christian theological foundations found in many other letters, they're absent in James. Others criticize this book for its lack of cohesion. I mean, Paul might be hard to understand at times, but at least he can hold a thought together. James, on the other hand, is all over the place like the New Testament version of Panda Express. Fortune cookie sayings, one after another. At RP, we talk about being a gospel-centered church. We want to preach gospel-centered churches, and we long to see and experience a gospel culture. So why in the world would we spend the summer going through the book of James? 
the easy answer is Mark's on sabbatical and he left it up to me. But seriously, why would we spend the summer going through this epistle? Because church, I think we desperately need the book of James. We need the full counsel of God's word, rightly understood. And James, yes, is God's inspired and holy word, just like Romans is. Romans was wonderful. If you were here over the last year, I hope you left that series with a greater grasp of the gospel according to Paul. The good news for sinners that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. James is Paul's gospel on the ground. Paul's gospel lived out. Doug Moo says, James readers were not perplexed over any doctrinal issues, unlike Romans. For James, he says, the problem was a failure to put their faith into practice. James says, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. So yes, church, we need this epistle. The great theologian Soren Kierkegaard, whose favorite book in the Bible was the book of James, said this to the church in Denmark, and and, and I believe this rings true for us today in Parker. He says, nothing is more dangerous to true Christianity, nothing more contrary to its nature than to get people to assume light-mindedly the name of Christian." James, as will become clear to us over this 12-week series, sees no tension between orthodoxy, right belief, and orthopraxy, right behavior. Correct belief and correct behavior are both totally essential to the gospel, two sides of the same coin. Paul explained in Romans with great detail how one becomes a Christian. God revealing himself to sinners in Christ. Salvation by faith alone. Secondary, but nonetheless necessary, James will show us with some powerful illustrations what the Christian life looks like. Obedience. That obedience of faith. So if you would, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of James. The book of James, towards the end of your Bible, right after the letter to the Hebrews. James chapter 1, verse 1. Just one verse this morning, so we'll get moving a little faster next week. This is God's holy word. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. James. Who is James? James is the half-brother of Jesus. After the Virgin Mary gave birth to Jesus, contrary to Roman Catholic theology, Mary did not remain a virgin. Joseph with the fist pump, right? And so as they built their family, James, one of their sons, Jesus' half-brother. Could you imagine what his childhood was like? Growing up under the same roof as Jesus. And some of you guys think you had it hard with an older sibling who seemed to be the perfect child. (laughs) James, as we see from the Gospels, was actually not a follower of his half-brother during his life and ministry. He actually thinks Jesus is insane. 
I mean, imagine if your half-brother tells you he's deity. What would happen? What changed his mind? Easter happened. The resurrection happened. His brother got killed, spent three days in a tomb, and then resurrected. We see in 1 Corinthians that Jesus appeared to James after his resurrection. Imagine that brotherly encounter. Probably explained a lot of his childhood right there. Because we know for James, that moment was the game changer. We see in Acts, James is there with his mom and the disciples. He's one of the early followers of Christ, waiting to see what his brother, well now his Lord, is going to do next. As the Holy Spirit falls on the church while the gospel is preached by Peter, thousands start coming to faith in Christ in Jerusalem. Well, this new mega church in Jerusalem needs a mega church pastor. And so who gets the call? James. James is the leader of this church in Jerusalem. James was an influencer before Instagram because this church was influential. Until the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70, whatever was said in Jerusalem mattered everywhere. And James was the senior pastor. Think about the council at Jerusalem in Acts 15 as they're working through some early doctrinal issues, right? Peter speaks, Paul even testifies, but it's James who gives the final verdict. The apostle Paul calls James a pillar in the church. He calls him an apostle in Galatians. Our passage says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though James could have used his credentials, like we see in other New Testament letters, he, he could have said, James, an apostle of Jesus Christ, or James, the brother of the Lord, mic drop. But he doesn't. Instead, he starts off this letter, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's most important to James is not his biological tie to Jesus, but rather his spiritual tie to Jesus, that through faith, He's part of the family of God. The only other place he uses the name Jesus, he calls him our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ. When you become members of this family, the glorious Lord Jesus becomes your soul-satisfying master. And you become his servant. Or an even better translation here, slave. James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he ends verse 1 by saying, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Greetings, a simple and common ancient introduction to a letter. Greetings, their way of basically saying, what's good, yo? And who's he writing to? The 12 tribes of the dispersion. He's writing to the Jewish Christians now outside of Jerusalem because of the persecution that arose against the church after the stoning of Stephen from Acts 7. The epistle of James is his pastoral letter to many from his former congregation, no longer under his physical shepherding care and other Jewish believers outside Jerusalem. And of course, as God's word, this letter is also for us. God's people, Jews and Gentiles, whom Jesus is Lord. 
Most scholars say this is the earliest New Testament book we have, probably written in the 40s. Not the 1240s or the 340s, the 40s. James writes this epistle before he was killed, martyred for his faith in Jesus to teach these members and us how to show our family resemblance to Jesus. James is the gospel on the ground. Now, I thought we can do something a little bit different this morning. 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul tells Timothy to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. The public reading of Scripture. This is something that has been done all throughout church history. And when a letter like James was first delivered by a carrier to these different house churches scattered outside of Jerusalem, the carrier would not explain each verse one at a time. He or she would read the entire letter. The church, without their personal Bibles with the flowers on the cover and the maps in the back, would cling to every word being spoken. It was a matter of life and death. So this morning, I want to read the book of James. It's only five chapters. It'll take about 12 minutes if I go quick. I realize studies show that social media and nonstop screen time and Netflix and and video games have pretty much made us distracted morons. So, so, So Jesse will actually come up here and give us some soft background music. And I'll, and I'll be reading out of the New International Version, which I believe is a smoother, more, more readable translation. And let's just listen to the Word of God. The, the words will be on the screen as well. So if you'd like to read along with me, awesome. Or like the church in the 40s, you can just sit there and listen. Listen as I read the epistle of James, the gospel on the ground. Sound good? Yeah? Okay, let's do this. I'm going to sit down. This is the word of God. Redemption Parker. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. 
When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, Not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? 
Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course on, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being is able to tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. By deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit impartial and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you, don't they come from your desire that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. 
anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Is there anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the air of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. Amen. Thanks, Jesse. Theologian Tim Mackey says, James is a beautiful, crafted punch in the gut for those of us who want to follow Jesus. Is anyone out of breath right now? The book of James offers us an invitation to the good life. The life of faith. 
We just heard some powerful themes in this epistle. Trials, sickness, poverty and wealth, the, the sin of partiality, wisdom, hypocrisy, faith and works, the power of the tongue, confession, and on and on. And we will deal with these themes as we expositionally work through the book of James. But in this New Testament wisdom book, did you catch what James said about wisdom? I'll read it again. He said, who is wise in understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. New Testament scholar Scott McKnight says the themes of James are not simply advice. The substance of these themes are life and death. And James' intent in using them is to draw his readers into the world that leads to life and away from the world that leads to death. James is saying this way, this way to the good life. In, in Parker, I don't know if you guys know, you can throw it up there right now, but in Parker, we have a town statue. It's actually quite beautiful if you, if you go over there. It's a man sculpting himself. And there's the inscription under it, and it says, the self-made man. The self-made man, which is pretty spot on if you know the ethos of Parker. We are self-made people. As a family, we love the movie Frozen. Well, our daughter Eden does, but, but her obsession for this Disney movie has spread through our whole family. This was us during Halloween. Okay, move that slide. In Frozen's popular song, Let It Go, Elsa sings these words. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. And like it or not, we are not immune from our culture. It's literally the air we breathe, even if you've never seen the movie Frozen. Our culture tells us that you are the master of your fate. You are the captain of your soul. Follow your heart. Be true to yourself. That is the good life. The book of James is going to call us to swim upstream. From our culture and its rise, triumph, and celebration of the modern self. And is going to point us in a different direction. A very countercultural understanding of what the good life truly is. And isn't this what the church in America needs? Isn't this what you need? Ryan sent me an article this week about a Christian couple, Aquilia and Omar, who converted to Islam. Here's what they said. Coming from being a Christian, Islam is really something that's ingrained in your whole life. Ouch. Ramadan ends tonight. Nearly two billion people have been celebrating. 30 days of fasting, feasts, prayers, a zealous way of life to a false God. But when they look at the church in the West, often they see a group of people that fit in quite well with the rest of culture. 
a group of people that get more animated in cheering for their favorite football team than they do in worshiping the one true and living God. A group of people more excited with Elon Musk buying Twitter than they are about Jesus who bought us with his own blood. The book of James is going to call us to come. Come, Christ follower, this way to the good life. This is what faith looks like. This is the gospel on the ground. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, my hero, says this. We understand Christ only if we commit ourselves to him in a stark either or. He did not go to the cross to ornament and embellish our life. If we wish to have him, then he demands the right to say something decisive about our entire life. We do not understand him if we arrange for him only a small compartment in our spiritual life. The religion of Christ is not a tidbit after one's bread. On the contrary, it is the bread or it is nothing. The good life is not what you may expect. It's not what Disney or Parker is telling us but it is the road we must travel and it's for our joy and his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the book of James that helps us in living out the gospel. God, I pray over the course of this summer as we jump into this awesome epistle that you would rock us, God, that we would not simply be hearers of your word, but we at Redemption Parker would be doers of your word. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.